Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I am delighted that you have tuned in today, and I am super excited about today's topic. This is not something we've ever talked about at length on the podcast, and that was kind of a shocker to me because this is really, really important stuff. Today, we're talking about PR, PR for your e-commerce brand. If you're an agency owner like me or, or run a SaaS company, we may sprinkle in a couple of nuggets for you as well. We're going to focus in on those D2C brands today. This episode of the e-commerce evolution podcast is brought to you by OMG Commerce Resources. That's right. Here at OMG Commerce, we want to help make sure you're educated and in the know to capitalize on the latest tips tricks, and strategies to help you grow your e-commerce business. So if you go to omgcommerce.com and under resources, click on guides, we have some cutting edge free information for you on things like how to dominate with Amazon DSP ads or how to use Amazon sponsor brand video ads and how to craft the perfect ad. We have several guides on how to capitalize on YouTube ads from creating the perfect ad to knowing when you're ready to scale. Plus there's a newly updated Google shopping guide plus more. Check it all out at omgcommerce.com and click on guides under resources. And now back to the show. My guest today is Miss Allie Karsh. She is a PR specialist, 15 plus years in the industry. She's the founder of LVPR and been running that company for about five years. Uh, we actually shared a client for a number of years. So Native Deodorant, uh, Allie and team worked with Moyes at Native Deodorant as they were scaling and growing on their, uh, their rocket ship trajectory. And so, so that was a fun connection that we have as well. Cause of course we run the Google and YouTube for native uh, to this day. And so with that intro, Allie, welcome to the show. How you doing? And thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me. I'm good. I'm loving the, the state of um, our industries right now. I think, you know, it's been really fun to see the comeback of, of the B2C world. And um, I'm excited to chat with you today. Yeah, uh, me too. I love I love good brands. I love fun uh, consumer brands. I've always loved media, right? I love advertising. Obviously, I'm an I'm an ad guy, but I've always loved good just how good brands appear in the press. And um, I'm ex super excited to dig into this topic because I don't understand PR that well. Of course, I've <laughs> talked to a few people, have a little bit of knowledge, but it's not an area of expertise. So I, I partially want to selfishly just ask you questions that I can use for my business. Uh, but I'm going to definitely ask you uh, more about D2C brands and, and we'll all get benefit from this. So um, if you don't mind, Allie, give me like the quick background. How did you find yourself in PR? Was was this the dream? Was this like the, the dream since you were a, a little girl or, or how did this come to be? No, I think, um, you know, I wanted to be in fashion probably like every girl that I was in marketing in college and business and marketing and thought fashion marketing was my passion in life and quickly learned it was not after doing an internship in New York City with Giorgio Armani. I learned very quickly um, and stumbled into PR and I really loved it. Um, I think the thing I like most about PR is just that it, every day is different and every client is different. And so it never feels like you're tired of doing this, this job. And for me, I have ADD. And so that just really works well for me. <laughs> but 
Um, but no, I loved it. I started out, it was my first job was in PR and I've continued since and um, grown in different capacities. But it's, I love, I really enjoy the industry. So, so your original job was at a, at a PR firm or you were working at a media outlet? Okay, for a PR firm. I've always worked at agencies only. I've never worked on the flip side, um, but I have so much respect for the editorial world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's so interesting that the, the, our two worlds are, are quite similar, right? PR and advertising, they have a lot in common. If you think about it, and I love the fact that no two days are the same for me either. Every client is different. Every challenge is different. And, and I've got to have variety or I go crazy. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, what we're both doing is telling good stories, right? We're, we're yeah. taking the story of a brand and bringing it to life in our respective medium. So we, we do a lot with Google ads and YouTube ads and Amazon ads, and you're using uh, media. And so I want to kind of dig in uh, lots of stuff that I want to talk about. But the first thing uh, you had mentioned as I was kind of getting to know you and getting to know LVPR, you talked about, you know, one of the requirements you guys have before you work with a brand is there has to be a good founder story, right? And, and so can you talk about what that is, because I think there are, there are potentially some people who um, are too humble and they think, eh, I don't have a good story, right? I'm just a, you know, a guy or a gal that started this business and what's interesting about that. But um, uh, so what are, what are some of the elements of a good founder story and what does that look like? Yeah, and you're right. A lot of founders don't ever want to talk about themselves and I, we have to push a lot of them. But um, you know, what we really do best with is products that came from a purpose. So usually, you know, if a product was created by, let's say it's a female product and it was created by a male, it's really hard to tell yeah. that founder story. I, I created this because I wanted to make a lot of money. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. And it's just, that know, doesn't you know, translate. Capitalism too, but that's not like a really compelling story. Yeah. No, so um, so we really like to work with brands where they found a problem and developed the product out of a need for a solution. And because of that, they're like emotionally invested in the product. Yeah. And therefore, the customer base aligns with the product so much more deeply because they realize how invested the founder is. Yeah. So, like um, like a Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx, and how she made the first, the original several hundred pairs at her kitchen table, and she made it because all the all the options were terrible for women at that time. That that type of right. story. Exactly. I mean, we ha we're working with a brand right now that is um, it's a father that created his product, and it was once he had children, and he realized that there was chemicals in diapers, and there was chemicals in baby wipes, and they were all working together, unfortunately, to be not the safest option for his child, he created a new product out of it. So it's those moments of realism that help um, customers connect to the products. And so we like to be able to make those connections and tell that story in that capacity. Yeah. And, and even, you know, Moise Ali, founder of Native Deodorant, really realizing that there weren't any good natural deodorant options. He read the label of a deodorant stick and realized, I don't know what any of these ingredients mean. I don't even know how to pronounce most of them. And that was kind of the impetus to, and there's some family yeah. connections, I think, to uh, maybe, maybe a pregnant sister. I could be making that. Pregnant sister, yeah. Or, she, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, he was trying to find a safe, safe option for a sister and he couldn't find one. So he had yeah. to make one. Yeah, yeah. Super cool. So, so then how do you uncover what are the elements that you should talk about, right? Because I think, I think there, there are two ends of the spectrum. There are people that 
don't like to talk about themselves and they, they, they've lived their story so they don't think it's interesting. And then there are other people who don't mind to talk. And I have several people like this in my life where they don't mind to talk, but they want to share every detail and really not every detail is interesting. Right. So like, yeah. how do we know, how do we know what we need to share? Um, what, what's the, the compelling part of the story that we do need to share? Well, so we do a tactic called media training, and that's where we work with those individuals that have a lot to share, and we need to help them kind of condense what they need to work on. So in that capacity, it's really just writing a narrative for people and helping them stick to their messaging and saying, okay, what's the point? What are we trying to communicate? What's the end goal? Selling the product. So just really trying to stick to those key message points and not going too far outside of the box because you lose your audience once you do. Yeah, there's the, have you ever seen the movie Hitch with Will Smith yeah. where he's like coaching yeah. people on, on how to, to date and not be annoying and stuff? I love the line where he says, people want to see the real you, but they don't want to know everything about <laughs> you, right? Like, like exactly. be authentic, but don't share too much because yeah, we don't care. And and so I, I thought that line, that line applies to PR and advertising and, and, and dating as well. And so um, let's talk a little bit about when is the right time to look at PR, right? So, so if I'm just coming up with my business idea or new product idea, is that the right time? Do I have to have a certain amount of traction and success before I say, okay, now's the time to really consider a PR strategy. What, what should I be considering in my business before I go down the path of trying to get PR? This is a great question, and I think it's one that we find people come to us the most and don't know the answer to. So I'm going to labor on this one a little bit. Love it. This is um, super helpful. There's multiple points, honestly, but brand launch for sure is the time to invest in PR because it's the moment you tell your brand story from the start. So there's a lot of times where brands will choose to soft launch. And while sometimes that's necessary due to funding or for whatever the case may be, you really kind of miss that moment of being able to get out from the gate and say, here's who we are, here's what we're doing. So I recommend brand launch. So um, really, and, and really that brand launch with the founder story, like that combo is pretty compelling, right? We all like new things, right? Media outlets like to talk about new things. So that, that yep. combo is pretty good new things and new products. You know, if you're a new category or if you're introducing something that's not out there, I mean, that's your moment. So brand launch for sure. We always recommend if you're, if you're wanting to talk about it, if you fundraise, fundraising is a great time to also get out there and talk about some news. And is that um, because like business publications will, will pick up on that, but, but also I guess yep. some consumer pubs will, will pick up on that too. Yeah, and a lot of times buyers. So if you're trying to go into retail mm. and if they see somebody did a large raise, then they know, okay, they have, now they have the capacity to produce more product and could be ready for nice. retail. So, yeah. so it's, a it's, way to, it's a way to leverage PR to potentially get in to, to retail distribution if that's, if that's a goal. Totally. Nice. So yeah, tra it's trade press. I mean, it's not huge consumer news, but it's definitely trade and industry news that could really be helpful in furthering your business. Um, uh, new product launches are always a time when you want to put PR behind your business. Um, and then seasonal moments for us, you know, our biggest time of the year is holiday. We have a bajillion brands that always come in like October 1st and say, 
we want to, we need your support for holiday. And it's like, well, you should have thought about that in July because that's <laughs> when we started pitching for holiday. Yeah. Yeah. So just kind of understanding, like if, what are your seasonal moments and when do you need a hard consumer product push and then working backwards. So to that point, I'll share with you, Brett, um, if you are a brand that likes print coverage or long lead coverage, which is like magazines, um, we start pitching for holiday in July. So you need to have your assets. July, you need baby. to have All right, easy to, easy everything. To yep. Yeah, it's crazy, which is, it's right around the corner. Um, and then short lead wise, so that would be like online gift guides, broadcast, um, anything on a t- shorter timeline. We start pitching in September. So you need to have all of your ideas, product development, images ready, ideally in August. That's awesome. And, and so one of the yeah. things that, that I, I think people struggle with, at least in conversations I've had, it seems like people struggle with this. You know, when, when we approach holiday, we're thinking about what promotions are we offering? What discounts are we offering? What, what, is the, what is the theme of our event surrounding holiday? And what's that messaging? But that's not what gets you press coverage, right? You're not going to say, oh, hey, I'm sending out this press release because we got 20% off for, you know, the uh, Christmas and New Year's, what, like whatever. That That's not interesting, right? So yep. so what what are the angles you should look for? You mentioned something like a buying guide, um, but can you elaborate yeah. on that? Like what should we be looking for? You know, almost everybody listening, holiday is huge for them. How do we make holiday newsworthy? Now, it's such a good question, and it's one we, we like struggle a lot with for our brands because, um, well, I'll just say advent calendars have been huge for us the past, three years. Advent calendars? We work with Vinebox and um, they are a, they do vials of wine and they have done a 12 nights of Christmas or 12 nights nice. of the holidays advent yeah. calendar every year. It sells in out. Place that in a like, lot of us could use a vial of wine right, a night like, for the yeah. holidays. You got kids, you got family, you got shopping. Yeah. So, and it literally sells out in like October. It's crazy. So advent calendars are just, and it's become a trend where um, a lot of outlets will cover advent calendars. So we have coffee advent calendars. You have dog treat advent calendars, you know, just like gimmicky things work. Um, And then pretty packaging. So who do you find is picking that up? And you may have just made up the dog treat no, uh, you didn't okay i wonder if there was it's a surreal. that's awesome so like who who's picking this up what 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 outlets are, are discussing the doggy treat advent calendar um so every uh, uh, every outlet will do a wide range of gift guides and so like um refinery 29 cosmo women's health gq Esquire, all of these outlets will cover this category throughout that seasonal three months. So you're pretty much, if you do something gimmicky like that, you're pretty much guaranteed you will get coverage, which is great. Um, And so there's different categories of gift guides and sustainable products is one that always does really well. Um, Products with a give back. So if there's like a percentage of sales going to something, those always do really well. Um, bundled gifts, things that are just, you know, steamy for the holidays do great. So you just kind of have to think along those parameters and make sure you're packaging your products in a way that's going to do well in these guides that already exist. 
Cool. And and uh, most of the time when you're showing up in gift guides, these are online gift guides, I would assume, like in Cosmo yeah. and Refinery29 and stuff. Are, are, yeah. you, are these showing up in print very often or is it mostly online? Yeah, no, they do. And that's when, and, and those ones change every year. So, I mean, the biggest one that everyone wants to be in in print is Oprah's Favorite Things. And that comes out in November every year. They usually put together their lineup in August. And now, is that you something know. you can kind of influence? Can Are you pitching Oprah's people ever, ever or does the Oprah just decide this, these things? No, you pitch. Like, you, there's a there's a gift guide editor you pitch, um, and they're very picky, And but Oprah picks everything. There are, I will say, a little trick of the trade. In the past couple years, they've been um, associated with Amazon. So if your product is available on Amazon, you have a much better chance of being Interesting. included. So yeah. Oprah's, Oprah really digs Amazon, huh? She's, is she doing that? Because well, it's of the commission. Aha, so they, the they get, that, that way they earn off of it. Mm, got it. So they got get it. affiliate commission if, um, if, those go through, if purchases go through Amazon. Yeah, interesting. So uh, that actually is a, is a great transition to uh, another question um, I know there's like affiliate PR, right? And yeah. commerce related PR. And then of course there's the, the you know, what, what everybody thinks about the kind of the editorial PR. And, and and one thing that was, that was kind of a revelation to me a number of years ago that, that may or may not be a, a shocker to people listening is, you know, if you were to search like top, whatever product, top hearing aids, top noise canceling headphones, top whatever, and you look at those organic results on Google and you click on some of those and there's a top 10 list or a top 50 list or whatever, people are usually paying for all of those positions, right? Someone mm -hmm. someone has done the expert work to get that page to rank in the search engines and then they're charging people a couple thousand dollars a month or more to be in, in that list. They're making money. Uh, Oprah, it looks like she's picking the product, so she really does like it. But she's also getting an affiliate commission from from Amazon. None of that is wrong per se, right? It's just important to know. But it's also important then to understand um, probably some people when they hear PR, they just think editorial. But can you kind of mm -hmm. break down those two worlds a little bit and, and how should we approach them? Yeah, for sure. It's honestly something that's really evolved in the PR world over the past, I'd say, three years. Um, previously, affiliate links was never a part. It was very much church and state. And now it's different and I get it. It makes sense. Um, but I would say 50% of what you would consider editorial placements are commerce placements. And paid that placements, means affiliate placements. They're not paid. So in your world, I think people maybe bump them up, but from our, in our world, it's more that you are guaranteeing a certain percentage of commission if they use your affiliate link. So let's say they do a roundup on the best natural deodorant and they pick Native, they pick Curie, they pick Lumi, Miro, yeah. whatever, all of these other ones. And each product, in order to be in that list, needs to provide an affiliate link. And it's either to their D2C site with a percentage of commission or to Amazon or to mm. Target. And um, the way in which an editor decides which affiliate link to use is based off of how much commission the retailer is providing. 
So we tell our clients that they should always compete with their retail partners because if Target offers 20% and you're only offering 12 on your on your site, they're always going to pick Target. Always. So those are just things People that may pick Target big. anyway, even if the price is the same because it's easier to buy totally. from Target in some cases. But we deal with that same thing all the time where we're running Google traffic, Google shopping traffic, whatever YouTube traffic. And then sometimes the, the brand is 20% more than everyone else. And we're like... Guys, this is okay if all you want to do is educate, but they're not going to buy from you. They're going to buy from Target or Amazon or, or one of these other places. Yeah. Right. The same is true in the the uh, PR world as well. Yep, it is. It's, it's I mean, and it's, it's okay. We, we know it's happening, and we we help our clients make sure they're set up to succeed yep. in that category, but it's something that if you are doing PR and you are not with an affiliate network, you're really missing out. Got it. Got it. Totally makes sense. Is PR something we should do all year long? So if I'm a D2C brand, holiday is huge for me, but obviously I'm selling stuff year-round. Should PR just be an ongoing initiative or does it become too hard to get coverage in the off-season so I just should focus on those those seasonal hotspots? How should we approach yeah. that? How should we approach that? It's a good question. Um, I think it's different for each product, honestly, or each brand. If you're a sunscreen brand... You know, although you should be wearing sunscreen all year long, the amount, the majority of coverage is spring through fall. And so I would maybe you could do like an interesting piece. I'm just now now that I'm talking to you, like my PR brain, which I didn't know I had, (laughs) clicking on, but maybe something like, hey, you're hitting the slopes. What what a lot of people don't know is you could actually get sunburned while you're on the slopes, right? So using sunscreen while you're snow skiing or something like that could be a fun angle. Uh, totally. And listen, I used to work on Supergoop and we have had, I've, I've also worked on Everyday Humans, which is another sunscreen brand. But the reality is the amount of articles that are published during that time, even if you're pitching those stories, which seems like it should ha- should work, they don't run. Mm. So if a brand came to me, I would say, yes, maybe you should prioritize your timeline of PR. But we, we encourage our brands to have enough to talk about for a whole year so that PR is always on. Nice. It totally makes sense, but it also makes sense, I guess, to come up with that annual plan, that editorial calendar, yeah. but just know that there's going to be certain times a year when you might not get the coverage you want, right? That the stuff might just not run because while you can get you know, sunburned, snow skiing, maybe that's not a very compelling story or there's other breaking news, whatever. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't right. really run. Um, got it. And so... So any tips then? How how should we get started on this this editorial calendar for for our PR push? Is it does should we just mainly think seasonally? What's what's seasonally relevant to our business and and that PR outlets will care about? Or, or how else would you recommend looking at that calendar? So what we typically encourage our brands to do is share with us yes their you know product dev calendar so that we can align a calendar of our pitch angles to support what is coming in the innovation pipeline. But then, and I think this kind of leads to what you guys do, but then we also encourage them to introduce us to all their agency partners so that we understand, okay, are you running a certain ad campaign during this time? Are you running a really cool SMS campaign? You know, what What else is going on in your world? Because something that's been really effective for us, for a lot of our brands, because I think C2C brands just do the coolest marketing initiatives, is getting marketing coverage. So when there's a slow product time, 
but there's a sick SMS campaign that is just converting like crazy, then we'll go out and tell that story on behalf of the brand, on behalf of their agency provider. And, and you, you um, would tell, allows- just to use that example, you would tell that story to like marketing publications, B2B publications that would be interested in an SMS campaign story. Yeah. I mean, we'll do, we'll do like ad week, we'll do tech crunch, whatever the, whatever the, you know, specific initiative is, but we'll go and find the coolest or the most, you know, top tier placement for them to tell that story so that it keeps the pipeline full. And it also shares just how this company is really growing um, from a case study perspective that usually brings in investors. There's a lot of just buzz that comes out of it. So we try to make sure that there's, in the entire year, there's always something we're talking about. When there's a quiet moment on the product side, you focus on a founder story or a brand story and just really try to keep everything abuzz so the brand never is not top of mind. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. that that's super powerful. Um, so I know one of the things you, you talk about too, that it's a requirement to, to work with your with your firm and this is a requirement, I'm sure, to show up in, in media outlets, but you talk about it having a good product, right? And and I know no one listening here would say, yeah, my product's pretty average. You know, it's pretty it's pretty me too. Uh, but, but, but are there any specific uh, uh, criteria you're looking for there? And, and the reason I'm asking this question is just that this might be helpful for people to look at their own product and evaluate how interesting is this product to uh, media outlets? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's... Honestly, I think it's kind of a personal opinion, uh, just from my perspective. I do base, for instance, we used to wrap a a pimple patch brand called Hero, Mm. and they're amazing. They really dominated the space. They were out quicker. We had another pimple patch brand come to us and say, we want to work with you. And I had to turn them away because I was just like, you're just not as good as what's already out there. (laughs) I didn't say it that way, but at the end of the day, it's like you can't compete with what's already working in the marketplace. So you really have to be aware of where are their holes and how are you solving that problem? And if it's already solved, you know, might not be the best to pursue. Yeah, totally makes sense. And, and, and what you guys do again, that there are comparisons to what we do It's it's, it's like a close partnership and like you're pouring your heart and soul into, to getting this, you know, these ads to work on our end or getting these stories picked up and, and for there to be traction. And if all you're doing is coming in a little cheaper than what's already out there and you're not as good, like we, we one time, and, and I'm almost positive this business is defunct, so I think it's okay if I mention it, but it was 99 cent razor club. We're like, oh, okay. And it's at a dollar shave club. It's 99 cent razor. Anyway, like, okay. Like, the, but there's not a real compelling story there. Nobody wants to save a penny really. Um, so yeah, there's, there's gotta be something compelling there, and, right. uh, but it is subjective, right? There's these, these, um, what product we like best is, is subjective, but, um, super interesting. I actually want to go back to a point we were just on, cause I think we need to go a little deeper in it okay. and that's like coordinating amongst agencies, right? So, so a quick, uh, kind of example from the, the ad world. And, and I think this would totally tie into what you guys are doing. So we've had a number of our brands that have appeared on on Shark Tank, right? Okay. And so um, a lot of times they come to us after they've already had their first appearance and now they're gaining traction and they're really growing. But then on occasion, Shark Tank will re-air their episode, right? And we, we always have to be ready for that yeah. because we'll see like their branded search terms as an example, their branded search spend uh, will sometimes 3X what it normally is, right? So on the 
on the agency side, we've got to get budgets ready. We've got to get bids ready. We've also got to think about, hey, if someone, when someone sees this episode, what might they be searching for? So they might type in, right. you know, it's this type of bracelet on Shark Tank or it's it's this type of baby product on Shark Tank. So if they don't remember the brand, but they remember seeing it on Shark Tank, they're going to, you know, what keywords are they be typing in? So the things like that. How, how do you recommend and how do you guys typically work with other other agencies that, that are serving your brands, whether that's search or creative or, or TV or whatever? How, how do you kind of help uh, coordinate, you know, with, with PR efforts? That's a good question. Um, I'll give you an example because we just did this for Earth Day. We work with Cloud Paper, which is a bamboo toilet paper brand. And they were doing this really cool initiative called Flush.com. It was a Flush.com. Flush.com. It was a fake microsite that um, told people that if they wanted to purchase toilet paper, they should come here and pick which forest they wanted to cut down in order to get their toilet paper. Because they're all about saving trees. And so it was awesome. And um, Robert Downey Jr. and Aspen Kutcher are investors in the brand. So there's a lot of comedy that comes Well, and that's... So this is really hilarious. I mean, obviously, it's a serious problem, right? But it, but it, right. sometimes, though, the way you um, attack a serious problem is with with some humor, right? So, so okay, great. You want toilet paper? So, which which of the the rainforest would you like to, to destroy? <laughs> yeah, Pretty funny, but also like really opens your eyes to aha, yeah, there there is a there is a deal here. So, flush down. Yeah. Oh, we'll check that out. Did you guys help yeah. inspire some of that? No, we cannot take credit. <laughs> that, that was their idea. But um, point but you help them leverage was, it and get get traction and get visibility behind it. Yeah. Yeah. So they have a marketing agency that came up with this idea, and then they had a social play. We had a PR play, so we were all collaborating to break this news, basically right around Earth Day. And so we had to put together, you know, a, a marketing calendar that we each affected. And put in our timeline, our pitch structure, and so that we all made sure that what we were doing wasn't going to trump the other person's news. Um, because we did have an exclusive with uh, Fast Company, actually. With the exclusive nice. was, was with Fast Company. And if anyone went out first before that piece ran, then it messed everything up. Yep. So long and short is, you know, you, we work, we get to do multiple calls. We all are aligned on this, on the strategy and work together to make it successful. But if you don't sync up, you know, there is a lot of room for error. So I just recommend calling that out from the start when you think something could have PR legs, making sure your PR team is looped in on any of the other agency side. So this may or may not be uh, an area you guys spend a lot of time in, but um, I, I see that there's value in, in always creating the next new piece and always getting the next new story to break or to be covered about your business. But I think there's also something powerful about leveraging the same story, right? Getting the same story told over and over again in multiple media outlets. So any advice, like when do you know, hey, let's just like double down on this idea and try to show this everywhere versus let's move on to the next idea. Any, any advice there? That's a good question. I mean, I think it's really case by case. Yeah. It, it comes down to what is the media gravitating towards? And if they keep covering the same piece of your business or the same component, then don't let it go. You know, yeah. just keep going with it. And slightly then there'll be angle, something new. Slightly different wording, but same, like essentially the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we've, we have a wine brand, Usual Wines, and they are 
they're natural, they're sulfite free, there's no sugars added. And as much as we try to like brand out from that, that's what everyone is really interested in right now. So we just keep going back to that angle. Yeah. But there's more to them. <laughs> so we don't, but that's the don't angle just... people care about. And maybe they can sneak in some of those other elements, you know, when they're talking about all natural and sulfite, sulfate free and, and sugar, I know added sugar, things like that. Uh, but yeah, oh, you got to, no. you got to give the people what they want, right? You got to give the media outlets yeah. what, they, what they want. And, and one thing that I'll underscore is that, you know, once you do get a couple of really good pieces, you know, you, you get a TV segment, you're, you're on Shark Tank or, or there, there's something big you can leverage that forever in in my world yeah. if, if you want to, right? So as an example, uh, Boom by Cindy Joseph, Ezra Firestone's company, uh, partnered with him for five or six years now, but they still use this, this ABC1 or ABC7, I don't remember, uh, story from New York City, an interview with co-founder Cindy Joseph on how she broke into modeling late in her career after she let her hair go gray and then she started the company with Ezra and like, this awesome story. We've been running that story, that clip for six years and it still works. Like you, we're, we're chopping it and doing different things with it. And we're about to do this new production that we're super excited about. Yeah. Um, but we're still going to use elements of that and it still works, right? So um, I think that's also the power of why it often makes sense to hire a company like yours. Even if like you don't get that long of a run of, of PR, right? Just let's, let's, let's say it's a short-lived run or whatever. You can still leverage it for ever almost, you know. Totally. And honestly, that's how I started out doing B2C PR was brands would come to me and say, I just need like a really cool headline or I need, we call them love letters, but they're like standalone pieces just so that they could put ad spend behind it. Like that's all they cared about was turning, flipping their PR hits into an ad and continuing to push it. And so, yes, I, that's what we do a lot too. Yeah, yeah, totally makes sense. So uh, I want to talk, people are obviously getting a great uh, kind of insight into to what you guys do, but talk a little bit about the agency. What, what makes you guys different? And, and uh, what, are, what are you proud about uh, with the agency? And then, and then I want to dig into that a little more. Oh, thank you. Um, what am I proud about? You know, I think we work, we work with really cool brands that are doing good things. And that for me... When I started LVPR was really important to me. I didn't want to just work on any brand. I wanted to work on some a brand I really believed in. So we have five pillars that you have to check the box on in order to work with us. And um, they are a strong founder story. It's a, it's a female founder, even better. Um, they need to have passion-like or cult-like passionate followings. Um, they need to be cool brands. And, actually, cool and I remember, I remember we, we talked about that a little bit in, in yeah. the prep, but we didn't dive into it. So how would you put parameters? How would you kind of define that, that passionate cult-like following? It's hard to put it into words, but I'll give you a couple brands as examples. And Great. I think it will make more sense. Um, Glossier, Away, um, Native is one, two. Any brand that starts on a D2C site and then goes into retail and like their customers cannot get there quick enough to touch it in person. Those are cult-like followings where they tell all their friends about it, that they are just so obsessed with the brand and the product. Um, Usual Wines is another one. Every time they launch a new product, Usual Wines. 
And every and it's a wine single serve wine brand. Every time they launch a product, they open it up to their email and SMS base first. And like, no lie, it always sells out because their customers are just like, yes, another new something. So that's the idea. And, and that's, a, a that speaks head. to really great product design. It speaks to community. It, spe- it speaks to a lot of things, right? Usually, the, usually those companies have to be doing something good as well or else people wouldn't be paying attention. And, and, and we see the same thing, by the way, with, with Boom by Cindy Joseph that I just talked about. Uh, another client, Live Bearded. Shout out to the boys at Live Bearded great personality behind their brand and uh, they sell out with every, with every new product release uh, just to their list, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so cult like following and, and then what, so strong founder story, cult like following, then what, what's next? Products that we would use in our everyday life, you know, things that we would, we really like um, a charitable give back or a B Corp. Um, so an element of charity and sustainable. So they need to have an element of sustainability in them. If they're fully sustainable, even better. Um, but those are the five that we we really gravitate towards. And um, we also, and you will probably understand this, Brett, we don't take on toxic clients. Like we are, we're here to have drama-free, really great relationships. Dude, life's too short, man. Life's too short no, to work totally. with drama queens. And sometimes dra- drama queens are dudes. Uh, often yeah. they're dudes, but yeah, we don't want to work with with the drama for sure. And and one thing I'll speak to about both the charitable element and the sustainable element is you know, not only uh, are those two elements the right thing to do, we should do that. There's such a benefit with your team as well. So if you're debating, thinking about it, should we have a charitable component and even talk about that a little bit publicly or sustainable? component? I think the answer is yes, you should. Totally. We found, you know, and, and I think what the best thing to do is like find a, a charity that fits your business, right? My, my buddy, Chris Lynch at Everyday California, their stuff is about ocean preservation, right? Because they're right on the ocean and they do, they've got an adventure side and apparel side. So it's all about the ocean. We, we're uh, an e-commerce agency, right? We're a business. So we actually really believe in like microloan programs and helping, um, uh, widows start businesses in other parts of the country and helping at-risk teens like get life skills. And so we've got a couple of different charities that we partner with that to resonate with us. And so what happens was your team gets excited about that, right? There, there are those moments when you need something more than business to kind of drive you, right? And so having those components for your team is powerful. And then as we share it, it does attract customers or it helps oh, helps totally. seal the deal a little bit. And and I think also as you share it, it encourages other people to, to give and be charitable too, which is cool. And then sustainable, like everybody's looking for that. We need to do that. Why, why, like, why wouldn't we uh, do that at, at this point? Yeah, and I think customers and consumers are holding brands more accountable in right. these initiatives. And they expect an impact. They expect elements of sustainability. And if you're yeah. not doing it, they ask you why. So... Yeah, and, and even think about it now. This is we're gonna we're gonna delve into a part uh, a topic that we've never talked about on the podcast before: cryptocurrencies. Uh, I, <laughs> I just recently started dabbling in, in cryptos. I, I don't know much about it, but I'm still dabbling a little bit. But at the time of this recording, now who knows what's going to happen when this when this episode actually publishes? <laughs> so the world of crypto could be t- totally different. But right now, uh, Bitcoin is tanking. It's down like down like fifty percent yesterday, or something like that. And part of that was driven by uh, Elon Musk and, and him tweeting, like as he tweets, cryptos react. But he was talking about the fact that Bitcoin is not very green, 
right? The, the mining process of, of mining Bitcoins is not environmentally friendly. It uses a lot of energy. And so it's yeah. things like that. Like who would have even thought like crypto, it's all in the cloud. It's all, you know, it's all make-believe. Some people say it's not really, but um, even that is driven by sustainability, right? So it's, it's, uh, it's a big deal. It's just a big deal. Totally. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. Uh, so awesome. So if someone is listening, they're like, man, I've got a cool brand and I fit those criteria, then they should reach out to LVPR and that's just LVPR.com, correct? Yes. Awesome. Correct. We're Fantastic. Here for you. So uh, this has been super good. I guess the, the last thing uh, or things I would ask is what if someone is just kind of really interested in this topic and maybe they want to dive in more, learn more? Do you guys have any free resources that you would recommend or do you have any favorite books, favorite podcasts, favorite resources that could really get someone, you know, on top of their their PR game? Oh, that's a good question. Um, what do I like to read? You know, I don't read a lot about the industry because I know a lot about it. So what do you like to read, though? This is just a fun question. Um, I read. I love to read read thing testing. I love to read um, Cassandra. I love. There are a lot of like random kind of trend-based stuff, but uh, my recommendation honestly would be to go to Clubhouse. I just feel like Clubhouse. So, yeah, I really? just think there's so much knowledge on Clubhouse. Um, Who should we from follow on well, there's a lot of people. I'm totally putting you on the spot here, by the way. Which so this is so interesting, and uh, thank you for allowing me to ask you just random questions because we I do this yeah, sometimes. Right? I prep with a, a guest, <laughs> and I'm like, well, I want to ask. Like you, you come up good. I wasn't ready for <laughs> so that. So I downloaded uh, Clubhouse, and I've been on there a little bit. Some of my friends are on there. I still yeah. like don't really get it. I mean, I understand the concept. I'm just it's not one of those things where I'm like, I want to go hang out in Clubhouse. I'm, I haven't gotten there yet, but um, but I don't hey, if there's some things we can learn there. What's that? But I I don't spend a ton of time there. But the the cool thing about Clubhouse is that you can pick clubs. So like I'm just looking at mine right now. But there's like a startup CPG club, or there's the Commerce Club. Um, I follow a lot. There's Club CPG, which is a really good one. Club so, CPG, all right. Yeah. So like if you go into those clubs, there's going to constantly be different conversations about different industries. And from there, you'll find, you know, you'll see who's it, who a lot of, like a room that a lot of people are in. And then that's where you want to go. So you can kind of, you know, it's like a fly on the wall of these interesting conversations. If you don't like it, you pop out of it. But I have found it's been really interesting. I've listened to a couple marketing conversations about how CPG brands are leveraging like QR codes right now and they're having sick success. I never even thought of that for my brand right Which is now. It's so funny because so, QR codes are not new. Like they've been around since no. the, before 2010. And for a while, people were like, oh, this is going to be the biggest thing. And then they went nowhere. And now they're suddenly back and, and interesting and, and relevant. And so, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's more, I find it more interesting to just kind of listen in and see what people are talking about. Um, but it's, it's, it's a time, time suck. It's audio. You can do it while you're working, but yep, you know. while you're working, while you're driving, while you're working out, yeah, whatever uh, the case may be. So that's fantastic. Any any other recommendations uh, to increase our learning about PR? Um, I like reading. I just read a lot because I think it's you. You can see what other brands are doing successfully. So Adweek, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, all of the big business pubs. I think it's really smart to read. Um, 
uh, retail brew, marketing brew, those. Yes, I love those. So, Morning Brew is one of the best email newsletters ever. Uh, It's really funny, really witty, but also just has it's a nice digest of the news that's going on. But then there's also, yeah, marketing brew, retail brew. I've not paid attention to that. Oh, read it. It's good. Yeah, they're all in the same family, but no, they're great. Cool. And do you recommend that people, say, set up like Google Alerts or something for their competitors, brands and things like that to kind of watch how their, yeah. their competitors are getting pressed and things like that? Competitor brands or even just industry terms. So like if you're maybe you're in the theater industry and you don't know if a new competitor is coming in, if you just put that keyword in, uh, then you can also get fed that news. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Ali Karsh, ladies and gentlemen. Ali, this has been so much fun. You nailed it. Uh, I will link to everything in the show notes. So if you're like, man, I need to connect with Ali and team, I'll link to that all in the show notes. You can check it out at lvpr.com. I did get that right. It's lvpr.com. Yeah. Okay. You're right. All right. With that, uh, thanks, Ali. It's been a ton of fun. Appreciate you taking the time. No problem. Talk to you soon. Bye, guys. And as always, thank you for tuning in. I would love to hear from you. Love to hear feedback on the show. What other topics would you like us to discuss? And if you haven't already, leave that review on iTunes. Makes my day and allows other people to find the show. With that, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session, or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.